Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 29 through chapter 2, verse 12. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting, at the, sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Father, we come to you this morning, we ask that you would give us soft and responsive hearts, eyes to see and ears to hear the amazing wonder of your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our series on the Gospel of Mark, uh, we've learned that Jesus had gone into Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near And uh, the kingdom of God was proclaimed by Jesus with the response of repentance and faith. Repent and believe. Uh, 
in the kingdom of God. The good news, the good news has come. And we looked at that last week. We looked at it uh, the week before that. And this week we see this preaching of the kingdom of God. And part of the question that we're going to ask over these many weeks as we look at the gospel of Mark is what is the kingdom of God? Well, one thing we know, it is not the kingdom of this world, as the Bible refers to it. Remember last week we talked about reality that we live in. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, kind of the system that operates in hostility toward God. And we have our own uh, flesh, our own evil, uh, sinful nature uh, that is also in opposition to the things of God. But then we also have, uh, as Paul calls them, the forces... Uh, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, uh, demonic forces. We looked at that last week. Again, if you're here new uh, and uh, perhaps not, uh, not familiar with some of these passages of Scripture, I would refer you back to my sermon uh, because we talked about what it means, uh, satanic activity in this world. Uh, but suffice it to say that it exists. There is opposition, um, as Martin Luther said the reformer, this world uh, with devils filled, that we do have opposition. And if we want to know what hell looks like, then we, uh, all we have to do is look around us to see a bit of what happens uh, when hell, uh, when those that are responsible for hell uh, are involved in the world around us. We see it in pictures. We see it in pictures of what's going on in Ukraine. We see it in war. And uh, we, you know, this, is a, this is a unique um, experience for us, the, the Ukraine war. Not because war is, is unique. It's uh, been around as long as there have been human beings. But in the fact that everybody's got a cell phone and uh, that somebody can, president of a country can tweet from his bunker. Um, and so we are seeing firsthand the horrors of war and, uh, and what it looks like. Um, and so that's come to earth. Uh, and we also see it in fractured relationships, uh, relationships fractured by our own sin and the sin of others against us. Uh, we see it in the horrors of physical illness and of death. Uh, the whole world's ex- been experiencing it again, right? There have been pandemics before, but but uh, we turn on our televisions and we look at our computers and we pick up our phones and we see how everybody is uh, experiencing and fixating on uh, the reality of illnesses that lead to death. And we would say these things are not supposed to be. Uh, these things are not right. Um, I don't know, some of you are too young to remember uh, when the the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, uh, but it was a dramatic event. And then two years later, in December of 1991, the hammer and sickle that was flying over the Kremlin came down uh, for the last time. Uh, the flag no longer flew. And there was a song at the time, and some of you will know, know it, it's sort of a pop, a pop song, uh, that really highlighted what was going on at that time and the feeling. And it, the, the lyrics went, went like this, right here, right now, there's no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. That was the time of giddy optimism. It was the time of the undoing 
of the evil empire, right? The Soviet Union. But guess what? The evil is not undone, is it? Uh, The world did not wake up from history. Uh, The more it changes, the more it stays the same. So what shall we do? Is there a better future? Some look for a human-crafted future. Uh, I read an article recently uh, in The Independent, and all I have to do is quote the, um, the, the title of this particular article. It was entitled, Utopia, Nine of the Most Miserable Attempts to Create Idealized Society. People have tried to create some idealized utopian society, and they've all failed miserably. And some people place their faith in, in humanity, that somehow, that just through evolution, we're going to evolve into this perfect society, this utopian society. Well, good luck with that. People aren't really talking that way too much these days, but that has been one of the, the viewpoints. The reality is, of course, that the earth is cursed. In, in our, um, as we look at the book of Mark, part of what we're doing is looking not only at Jesus and trying to get to know Jesus, but trying to understand what is reality. And reality is that we've got an earth that is cursed, that is filled with problems, and it was cursed because of Adam's sin. The reality is that we do have an adversary, as we've spoken of. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so if things are ever going to change, truly, we, there needs to be somebody who is supremely powerful and supremely good. Sam asks the question in Tolkien's novel, The Return of the King, is everything sad going to come untrue? And so we say to Sam, yes, yes it is. How do we know? Because all heaven broke loose when Jesus Christ arrived, when the Son of God came. And tonight we, today we find out a little bit more about Jesus and who he is in the title of the Son of Man as well. He is the Son of God and he is the Son of Man. And what we've seen in the last two weeks is Jesus in effect saying, I am authority. Authority has shown up. The kingdom of God, of God has come near in me as I have come to planet earth. Last week we looked at the authority of Jesus. He was one who taught with authority and he's one who had power and authority over the evil spirits. Today we look at three aspects of his authority and power and one other item. The first is Jesus has authority and power to heal illnesses. Secondly, we will find that Jesus came to preach the good news. Thirdly, we'll find that Jesus has authority and power to make the unclean clean. And finally, Jesus has authority and power as the Son of Man to forgive sins. First, he has authority and power to heal illnesses. Mark 1.29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now this is picking up where we left off last week. Jesus preached in the synagogue. He leaves the synagogue. He goes to the home of Simon and Andrew um, and 
Simon Peter's mother-in-law was there and she was ill with a fever. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and grabbed her by the hand, lifted her up from where she was reclining and the fever left her immediately. Uh, And she was 100% completely healed, right? You know, she, she did what? She immediately start, started to serve them. That's what's being conveyed here in the text. She wasn't like, hey, you've healed me from COVID, but I've got long COVID. I'm a little tuckered out here. You know, you've, yes, you've healed me, but I'm still feeling a little weak here. You know, like I've turned the corner. The fever has broken. But <clears throat> I need to, you guys to take care of dinner tonight. No. Immediately, 100% healed. Heaven has broken loose in the person of Jesus Christ. The the illness is taken care of. The undoing of the sadness of illness. Jesus has authority and power over illness. And we see that, that the people came to him for that very reason. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Sabbath is over. At the evening of that day, the Sabbath day would be complete. People could go about and move about without any concern of breaking Sabbath laws and stipulations. And so this this crowd shows up at uh, the door. Uh, Everybody was there, a whole bunch of people. And he casts out demons, as we discussed last week. He had authority over them. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And that day, they would have thought of fever as one disease. Whatever the cause of, that, of your fever, uh, you had fever. And he healed fevers, and he healed all kinds of other diseases, regardless of uh, the type. Again, heaven was breaking loose. The undoing of sadness took place. Jesus Christ also came, we find, to preach the good news in verses 35 through 39. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he a miracle worker? Well, yes, but that's not his primary purpose. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So Jesus leaves Capernaum while it's still dark, and he goes to a desolate place, as it says. That's the same word uh, that uh, was translated wilderness earlier in Mark. So he leaves town in this isolated wilderness place. And, um, and what does he do? He prays. He's praying to the Father. We find from this the priority of Jesus, the Son of God, with fellowship with God the Father. Uh, the priority of prayer of Jesus Christ. And we also should prior, prioritize prayer. And not just, not just any prayer, but, but carving out time, uh, spending time uh, alone with God in prayer and communication and fellowship with him. I remember I've talked to people, you know, one, one friend of mine said, I pray uh, during my commute. This was down in South Florida when he was going from Fort Lauderdale to Miami. Great. That's wonderful. Um, that's wonderful. Pray all during the day. That's good. 
But there's something about carving out time uh, alone with God in prayer and making that a priority. And some of you have a difficult time doing that. If you're a, if you're a mom with young kids, uh, you know, probably you've got the toughest, uh, not trying to heap guilt on you, moms. Uh, but how can you make it a priority, mom, dad, uh, that both of you would have some time alone with Jesus, alone with the Father in prayer? Jesus prioritized it. Early in the morning, he leaves town. He spends time in prayer. And Peter searches for him, and he comes with Andrew and James and John, and he says, hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. There's a buzz in town. This is great. Come on back. Let's do some more healing. And Jesus says, no, no. The reason why I came out was to preach. Now, he uses that terminology, I came out. And it could be either that he's speaking of coming out of Capernaum. Why did I leave Capernaum to preach? Or it could be that I came out of heaven. Uh, Both of them are true, that his purpose was to preach that the kingdom of God had come near and to repent and believe. Just an aside, you know, Peter had his view of what God's purpose and God's plan was. For Jesus and for Peter, right? Hey, this is so obvious. People are here. We've got a crowd. This is wonderful. Things are going along just as we think they should be going along. Jesus says, no. How about you? As you follow Jesus, do you think, Jesus, I know the plan. It looks so obvious. This is such an obvious plan of of what you are doing in the world and in my life and what you need to be doing in the world and in in my life. And and, and I want to follow you. And this is where you need to lead, Jesus. No, Jesus has his plans. Just follow Jesus wherever he leads you. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So he goes throughout the rest of Galilee, and Galilee is the northern part of Israel where Capernaum is located. It was one of those towns. And here's what the ancient historian Josephus says of Galilee, of that region. He said, the cities lie very thick, and the very many villages that are here are everywhere so full of people because of the richness of their soil that the very least of them contain more than 15,000 inhabitants. So Galilee uh, had all kinds of population, all kinds of towns. And Jesus said, it's time to go. I'm here to preach. And I'm going to these other towns. And there was a lot of opportunity for him to go and preach in these various synagogues in Galilee. Thirdly, Jesus has authority and power to make the unclean clean. Now, in one sense, what's recorded here in verses 40 through 45 is is another healing, but there's more going on than simply a healing. And we see this emphasis on being cleansed. You know, what is meant by that? In the Old Testament law, there were ways in which a person can become unclean. The people of God were holy. They were separated and they were to remain that way morally. And there were also ceremonial laws. 
uh, that were to be followed in the Old Testament, and they were to follow these things or they might be unclean. Now, some of the ways that they would become unclean were through moral defilement, but could, it could also be in other ways. Uh, for instance, if you uh, touch a dead body, nothing morally wrong with that, but you became unclean and it had certain stipulations that would prevent you from doing certain things related to, to worship and community. And each of these laws that related to cleanliness and being unclean had various stipulations and prohibitions and practical implications. As such was the case with leprosy. Uh, leprosy was a very, very serious disease. It was con- disease. It was considered to be uh, so serious that the rabbis taught that healing from leprosy, healing from leprosy, was as difficult as healing somebody from the dead. Mark one through Mark one forty through forty two, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, "If you will, you can make me clean." Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The WHO has said about leprosy uh, that it's a chronic infectious disease. It affects mainly uh, the skin, the peripheral nerves, the mucosal surfaces, the upper respiratory tract and the eyes. Leprosy is known to occur at all ages, ranging from early infancy to very old age. According to the CDC, leprosy can now be treated, but if left untreated, the nerve damage can result in crippling of hands and feet, paralysis and blindness. And apparently, uh, the term leprosy in the Bible had to do not only with that extreme version of leprosy, but various skin diseases. And the Old Testament law had rather a lot to say about leprosy and how to deal with it. For instance, Leviticus 13, 43 and following. The priest shall examine him, and if, he, if the diseased swelling is reddish white on his bald head or his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. His disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Not a fun existence. Uh, To that... The, um, the rabbis at the time of Jesus added their own stipulations to what someone with leprosy was supposed to do. I w- I'm indebted to William Lane in his background on leprosy, the time of Christ. He said the rabbis in the day of Jesus added to these Old Testament prescriptions a number of other practical prescriptions, a chance encounter between a leper and another person make the person unclean. Lepers were allowed to live in cities except Jerusalem and cities that were walled from antiquity. They could attend synagogue if a screen was provided to separate them from the rest of the congregation. The leper was not allowed to enter any house for his presence made both people and the objects in the house unclean. 
If an unclean man with leprosy stood under a tree and a clean man passed by, the latter became unclean. And so we find that leprosy brought this deep physical and mental anguish, uh, both to the individual and the community. And I think, again, we kind of understand a little bit about what it is to be sort of a pariah uh, in the age of COVID. Uh, We don't have to go around calling out unclean, unclean, but we have to quarantine. We have to be uh, in a position not to infect people. And We've seen all of the, the negative repercussions of that as people have been isolated in society and the psychological difficulty of it and, the, and the, the physical difficulty, the physical difficulty of getting the help that you need and even the uh, abuse that has taken place in terms of substance abuse, coping mechanism. And so the, this, this leprous man would have encountered all of that and more. A leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. He he begged him. He kneeled before Jesus. Please remove this stigma from me. I do not want to be this pariah. I want to be able to be involved in the community and society again. Please restore my life. And it says here, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Jesus touched him. Jesus touched him. He didn't have to touch him. Jesus could have said, you're healed. Jesus touching him is, is first of all, an act of kindness. This man had not been touched. But in doing so, Jesus would have been made unclean by touching the leprous man, except for the fact that Jesus, instead of becoming unclean, by his touch, made him clean. Jesus had the authority to make somebody clean. All heaven was breaking loose. Even the leprous person was receiving healing and cleansing. And so Jesus then instructs the man to do what the Old Testament law said. He said, He sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And most likely he would have gone immediately to a local priest and then eventually to a priest in Jerusalem to do the prescribed functions that were required of him. And notice Jesus also strongly tells him not to say anything to anyone except to show himself to the priest to show that he is clean, that he's been healed. Um, And sometimes this has been called in the Gospels the messianic secret, that Jesus um, is is commanding uh, people and demons not to reveal who he is or what he's done. We saw that uh, earlier in the text where he commanded the demons. He would not permit them to speak because they knew who he was. There are many theories about why Jesus did that, I think in, the, in this context, it's pretty clear to see what Jesus' motivation was by the result of this man not obeying Jesus. Verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer op- openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus' ability to preach in Galilee, in the cities of Galilee, uh, was something that was curtailed by 
this man speaking about uh, his leprosy being healed. And he had to go out into the wilderness, and yet people still came to him out into the wilderness. Eventually, we find Jesus returning to the, the city of Capernaum, Mark 2, 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And we see here that Jesus has the authority and the power as the Son of Man to forgive sins. Just as in the case of the leper, Jesus is about to heal somebody, but there's more going on to the story than a simple healing, as dramatic as a healing is. Mark 2, 2. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd... They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the paralytic hadn't come, you know, for for, uh, forgiveness of sins. He came for healing, but Jesus met his deepest need. And his deepest need was the forgiveness of sins, just as it is the deepest need of every human being. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, But God is saying here, Now then I will cancel the charges against you. You will no longer have to mourn. To be sure you have sinned and have earned judgment of God, the judgment of God, but your sin will be pardoned. The death penalty will be removed. I will no longer remember the sinfulness of the, of the world, the sin in which people were born and in which they lived. Everything is settled. I will no longer look at your sin. Simply believe in the Son. And so these men came to Jesus in faith. Jesus saw their faith. The faith of those carrying the paralytic and the faith of the man himself. They would have gone... Upstairs, there would have been a stairway outside of this home um, at that time in Palestine, and they would have gotten onto the flat roof. And uh, we sort of imagine somebody taking a circular saw, you know, and cutting a hole in the roof, and then and dropping down there, and then uh, in the the drywall ceiling, you know, knocking a hole in the drywall ceiling. Uh, it wasn't quite that difficult. Um, there are actually accounts of people doing that. Uh, written accounts of people removing uh, the, the roof so that people can get into a house. So it was difficult. Uh, and they were going to be, uh, they were not going to be denied seeing Jesus. Such was their faith. They were going to accomplish seeing Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. 
right? You got this, this dramatic mic drop here, you know? Hey, which is easier to say, you know, your sins are forgiven or you're healed. Well, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven on one level, right? You just say it. But that the Son of Man has, uh, so that you will know, and that was part of the purpose of why Jesus did this healing the way he did it, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns the paralytic and drops the mic, right? You're healed. Go home. Take up your, take up your bed. Go home. The dramatic ending. I have authority, Jesus said, demonstrated in my healing The Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Now here in verse 10, we see this term that is the most common term that Jesus uses of himself in uh, the Gospel of Mark, and that is the term, the Son of Man. And so as we have come with a quest of trying to understand who Jesus is, this Jesus who has said, come follow me, we need to understand uh, something of what he means by the term son of man. Now, if you grew up in the church, maybe you heard what I heard growing up, and that is son of God has reference to the deity of Jesus, and son of man has reference to the humanity of Jesus. And particularly when it comes to the son of man, that is just uh, way too much of a generalization uh, about the term son of man. Daniel chapter 7 was written some five to six hundred years before the time of Christ. It's a prophecy. Daniel sees in this prophecy a vision of heaven, of something that is to take place. And he sees uh, the figure of God, Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is seated in his throne and the Son of Man comes. So this is Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And here appears the Son of Man. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus revealed himself as the son of man, the one who has dominion and authority and and power. And here the son of man, he's saying, has authority on earth, not just in heaven, but on earth to forgive sins. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, we see again an image that the Apostle John has of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, again, is referred to as the Son of Man with authority. Beginning with verse 12. 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. On turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of David, the the keys of death and of Hades. I have the keys, the authority, the power over death. And Hades. The scribes were right about one thing that only God can forgive sins. And Jesus Christ was revealing himself to the world as one who has authority to forgive sins. So, my question is for you today will you tear down the roof, the ceiling to get in to see Jesus, whatever that is metaphorically for you? Will you come to him in faith, realizing your absolute need for him and for the forgiveness of sins? To continue the quote by Martin Luther, what's missing? Why does judgment still hang over us if the son has removed our sins? This judgment remains because people reject Christ, the son of God. Suppose a physician is treating a sick person whom he knows he definitely can help. Suppose he has promised to get rid of his patient's pain. The physician suggests a remedy for his patient's illness or an antidote that will counteract the poison his patient has ingested. Suppose further that the sick person knows without a doubt that the physician is capable of helping. In spite of all this, the patient says, get out of here. I don't need your advice. You're not a physician. You're a fraud. I'm not sick. I didn't need any poison. And besides, it probably won't hurt me. Then what if the patient tries to choke and even kill this doctor? Wouldn't you say that the person is not only sick, but stark raving mad? The spiritual madness of refusing the help of God's son, the the help he wants to give us, is ten times worse than this. The conclusion of this passage, Mark 2.13, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. He was teaching them what? He was teaching them of their of the Son of Man who had come in authority, with authority to forgive sins, and to believe the message, to repent and believe the good news. Part of it is believing that there is good news, right? That there is somebody that has the authority to take care of all of these problems that have been mentioned here. The person of Jesus Christ. So do you believe the good news? You might think it's too good to be true. I can't believe it. You're you're on the way to understanding it. It is that wonderful. Believe the good news. That there is one with authority who can accomplish all of these things. And first and foremost, that your sins can be forgiven. That the penalty of death can be undone. That the penalty of your estrangement with God uh, can be done away with. And that you can be restored. That all of these bad things will come untrue. Believe 
Jesus, believe the good news. He has authority to forgive sins. Come to him in faith. Father, we come to you this morning and we are thankful for your word, for the revelation of your word, that Jesus, in his coming near, the kingdom of God has come near, that heaven has broken loose. And as we place our faith in Jesus, that we receive the benefits of his authority in our lives. I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we might for the first time place our faith in him, or that our faith uh, might be nurtured and strengthened in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's continue to worship and to sing uh, of Jesus Christ Christ.